I'm wondering what you imagine when I use the expression black design. What does that encompass? Uh, well, good question. Uh, and, and this Friday, First Nations designers from, from all spheres of the, the design and artistic worlds uh, will gather at the Koori Heritage Trust in Melbourne with the objective of interrogating that very question. Uh, to join us and pick through some of these thoughts is Tom Mosby. He's the CEO of the Koori Heritage Trust. He's organising that forum. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Black Design Matters, the forum, it's, it's in its in its third year. How, how has that, that idea evolved over that period? Um, the program itself, because we run, the Koori Heritage Trust has a black design program, mm-hmm. um, which we're entering the third year this year, which is all about supporting Victorian First Nations designers or people with an interest in design as a means of mentoring, encouraging more of our people into the design industry, because it's acknowledging that when we look at design, which is the buzzword at the moment, and there's a lot happening in Melbourne in terms of design generally, how do we encourage more First Nations? participation, but also First Nations participation, um, where we have a sense of ownership and control over the design that we actually produce, the works that we produce. Because as you say, design, a buzzword, but that's the, that idea, it seems to be continually expanding of mm. what's encompassed in that world mm. of design. It actually, it reminds me a bit of the conversation, you know, people used to have the conversation about craft. What is craft? <laughs> this is very similar in terms of design because it does encompass architecture, we look at landscape design, we look at fashion, um, even industrial design. So there's such a range of um, design um, design disciplines um, that we're looking at. And with that idea of black design, I, I wonder, is there a, a, a shift in that thinking around the notion of design that, that comes about when Indigenous people are involved in that process? Does, does it change the nature of that practice? It does. And one of the big things about the program is really about, um, I mean, the concept of deep listening. Mm. It's also about ensuring that the program is First Nations led. It's actually encouraging um, the um, practitioners, the participants to really explore their cultural heritage, their background, what they can actually bring to um, the design program without being influenced by the sort of non-First Nations thinking where you're corralled into a certain way of doing things and creating, whereas this is really about um, the participant telling their story and telling their story in a safe, controlled environment. Are there two parts of that, I wonder? I mean, in in taking that idea of design and then taking that back into deeper time than Mm. than settlement Australia, for example... But also that that sense of of what um, an, an indigenous mindset and and experience can bring to more, more modern settler concepts of design. Mm. I mean, there are two parallel tracks there, are there not? There are. I mean, when we're looking at sort of pre-settlement, I mean, there was the um, changing the landscape is a really good example. The change of landscape to encourage um, sustainable hunting, gathering. I mean, you could actually argue that's also, that's part of landscape design. I mean, that was something that um, uh, our people had been practising for thousands and thousands of years before colonisation. And it's that sort of thinking, bringing that into a 21st century uh, sensibility, mentality around how do we reflect that and have control of that within 
what we now call design. Because there's rich conversations in that. I mean, in, in how that then shifts the, the modern discipline is, well, it's intriguing for a start. Mm. Mm. It is. It is very intriguing. And the reason we call it black design, because it's also acknowledging that it is about First Nations, but it's black spelt B-L-A-K, which was yep. a term that was coined by a First Nations artist, Destiny Deacon, really well known. She coined that phrase in 1994, I think it was, and it was about reclaiming and acknowledging black people, blackness. Um, and so... And taking it out of white language. And taking it out of white language and even white spelling um, yes. when you look at it as well. Is it important to... Uh, I mean, you mentioned there, you know, the idea of, of, of designing in, within country, of, of, of landscape alteration mm. and, and fitting that to... That extraordinary integrated human purpose, mm. that the thing of, of people working with place... Mm. To to dig into that, to come to deeper modern understanding of what has happened for millennia. That, I mean, that work is is ongoing. That that sort of discovery uh, of, of of ancient practices is, is still a, a very know, much a, so. a current a current inquiry. Very much so. Um, and we, I mean, we're just talking at the moment about landscape changing, the landscape mm. changing, country, all of that. But, but structures for habitation, structures for habitation, clothing as well. When yeah. we're looking down here in Victoria, we have the possum kangaroo cloak making. Um, tradition. And on the inside of those cloaks would be inscribed designs, which would reflect the journey of the person who actually owned that cloak. And so you had that as part of culture, as part of the way that you were brought up, but it's reflecting now this sort of very much a design sensibility that we're going through and talking about in a 21st century context. And there's great, I mean, there's great settler curiosity about this, uh, but your your event is is purely a black space. It is purely a black space because what we wanted to bring together was um, First Nations people with an interest in talking about the issues around what, why black design, why does it matter. Um, what is the definition of black design at the end of the day? I mean, I'm talking mm. about black design from my perspective, but there's so many different perspectives. One of the uh, conversations that we will also be happening is um, the issue of ownership of design. So when we look at iconography, when we look at symbolism, I mean, we all know about issues of appropriation by non-Indigenous people of Indigenous design. But there's a, new, um, there's a new thinking coming through within the community about a, a First Nations person from one area taking the design from another area without permission. There's a lot to talk about. I, I wonder if there is, for, for a First Nations person working in design disciplines, is there something of a, of, is there a burden almost to carry of that indigeneity in that practice that you, there is a responsibility to tell something of your, your people's story in your work? Does that sit heavily with some people? Um, look, I think so. I think there are two ways of thinking about that. On the one hand, um, being a First Nations person myself, um, if I was a designer, um, not that I'm saying that I am, um, but if I was a designer, that sort of cultural background um, is innate to everything that I do. Mm. It's about how I actually live my life. It would be about how I actually produce something. I wouldn't call that a burden. I think where it becomes a burden where you're expected 
to, as a First Nations person, that you also come with this sort of weight of culture. There is a responsibility, but there's also, I suppose, people, um, non-Indigenous people, assuming the assumption of what actually is First Nations design iconography, and that becomes a bit of a burden where you actually expect the designer or artist to actually conform to how you perceive what First Nation design or art practice is. I guess a breakthrough point is in which um, the d- design which is infused with thinking which is old thinking and, and of of this place and, and of... First Nation imaginings, when that just takes its own life, when that um, is, it, it's not reproducing an artefact, it's not, you know, conjuring something from the past, but it's informing a, a contemporary practice. It is. It's informing a contemporary practice. And I think that's the exciting thing that we're seeing, that people are actually drawing on their cultural background to inform their practice. But that's where, when we were talking about, where, when I was talking about the appropriation of iconography from a different language group, that's where the issue sort of starts to lie, where you're trying to express your um, indigeneity, where you come from, but because for whatever reason, whether you're part of the stolen generation, because of colonisation, you've lost your contact with country and people, and you start to draw on general iconography that people actually perceive as First Nations, as Indigenous, that's where I think it becomes a bit of an issue. How does an Indigenous person pick their way through that, find themselves within all those possibilities. Well, that will be part of the conversation at the Mm. forum because um, for this particular panel, we've gathered people um, together that actually talk about this issue of ownership, um, but also people who come from that sort of stolen generation background or exploring um, country where they come from who are using symbol, not out of any sense of wanting to appropriate in a bad way, but are actually using symbols as a means of exploring their own indigeneity. I mean, I can see why these conversations, it's important to have them in, in a in a safe cultural space. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, like I said, I mean, we've all talked about the um, misappropriation by non-Indigenous people. I mean, there was all of the recent controversy in South Australia around um, white uh, at art centre managers painting on canvases, taking stories... So we're familiar with that, but this is now looking at First Nations people actually doing that with symbols from another country. Your own path here is is interesting. I mean, you come to this with with a legal background as, yeah. as part of an extensive <laughs> career. Why, why why do you settle ultimately in this this sort of art and design space? Not that sorry, it's necessarily mm. a conclusion of mm. your working life. But. I think it's part of, because I mean, I do, I mean, my first um, career uh, after I graduated from university was working in the art sector as a conservator. I worked um, in WA here at the National Gallery of Victoria, then moved into law and then coming back into the cultural sector and especially the First Nations cultural sector. I think it's a very interesting time to be a part of it, given all of the issues and topics that are being discussed within the context of a much broader sort of government Um, societal sort of um, position when we start looking at treaty, when we start looking at the voice. It's an interesting time to actually be looking at even things like art and design and how that fits into defining First Nations community and people. The Koori Heritage Trust is is very active in this this space and you've been running incubator programs as well as, you know, forums Mm. like the ones we're talking about. Mm. What's that beginning to produce? I think what it's beginning to produce is 
a broader um, awareness of First Nations people working within the design space. When we first put on a Black Design Matters exhibition in 2017, there were people, of course, working within the design space, but it wasn't as well known. What we're actually thinking is because of the work that we've been doing, that it's becoming the profile is being raised. And that's one of the main sort of ambitions coming out of the program is to raise a profile of black designers and pe- people working within the design industry. There's a momentum. There's a momentum. Yeah. Mm. Okay, here's, a, here's a, a, one of the ideas you're going to be talking about. It intrigues me, fashion sovereignty. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> um, fashion sovereignty, again, I mean, it does go back to looking at the ownership of... Um, ownership of design within the fashion space. I mean, we've got all of these different disciplines. Fashion itself is uh, um, is something that uh, is within its own field. Mm. Um, how do we as First Nations people um, retain sovereignty over our design within that sort of fashion and textile space as well? Sovereignty is a rich word. It is. It is. And a very loaded word <laughs> yes. as well. So, okay, the forum, uh, and this is taking place Friday, 12th of May, Mm -hmm. the Koori Heritage Trust, the Black Design Matters Forum, uh, a First Nations only event. Will there be uh, any outcome from that which is more broadly accessible? Yeah, the outcome, I mean, we don't, the big thing for us is not just to put on a talk fest where we have the conversation, it's a great day, people actually talk and then nothing comes out of it. For us, it is actually similar to the Black Design Program. This is one of many steps that we're taking to build that momentum, that word that you used before, to build the momentum about black design, black designers um, working within that space. And so for us, it's actually looking longer term. I mean, hopefully there could be something like a First Nation Art and Design Fair here in Melbourne, similar to Melbourne Design Week that we have. Um, these are the type of outcomes we hope could actually come out of the day. So stay tuned. Uh, Tom, thank you. Look, you know, all, all the best for it and congratulations on the My work thus far. Tom Mosby uh, and, and the forum, the Black Design Matters Forum, Friday 12th of May, it's at the Koori Heritage Trust in Fed Square uh, in Melbourne. Uh, if you're a First Nation designer, uh, you can, of course, register at that Heritage Trust website. Blueprint for Living. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.